Hi, this is Better Red Than Dead, a literature podcast from a left perspective. I'm Megan. I'm Tristan. I'm Katie. Today, we have the first of two episodes in Lolita, which is Vladimir Nabokov's 1955 novel about, um, I mean, you know, it's about a pedophile and the 12-year-old girl who he is obsessed with. So why, why Lolita? Why would I want? Why do any of us want? You know this about me and I'm. this is embarrassing, but like this is for sure one of my favorite books because I am an annoying person with <laughs> an overfed, fussy, modernist aesthetic. I'm a words guy. Uh, I love <laughs> You're a the sentence. words pervert. I'm the words pervert. The word. That's the best description of my taste in literature that you can come up with. I, I will say you, your your fussy modernist aesthetic did convince me with uh, Ulysses, which I am also now a fan of. Uh, this I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. You like Faulkner? I do. I like Faulkner. Yeah, and I, I mean, do you I like, like Flaubert? I have never read Flaubert. Let me. I'm just going to get you totally into the like fussy modernist taste <laughs> that like um, my dudes like. I think those guys also really like Kafka. Oh, I, yeah. I like Kafka. Kafka's, Kafka's cool. fucking great, by the way. Anyway, I'm the word pervert. And I have no problem with these having been made into movies. This is not a critique of that. But I do think this novel is, like, incredibly novel-y. And so I just take those objects as different, like, completely different and really impossible to shoehorn into this conversation, which is different than Rosemary's Baby or A Clockwork Orange. Like when we talked about those, I think the movies are like companions in an interesting way. I feel like we got to leave that stuff in a different category because of the way this does its noveliness. I enjoy the references for the Easter eggs for the bourgeois East Coast, very well-read, middle-brow, boring shitheads. I love Dante, Freud, you know, Poe. I love the wordplay that's like real filthy and you have to have four languages. I love that bullshit. <laughs> I'm a terrible person. Uh, you know that the most damning know. indictment we would have here is of Megan Tussler. <laughs> Look. Look. You, you JK. Hard, you are hard the, JK. You, you are the subject of the book's critique, I guess. Oh, <laughs> I love books. This is a sub that's a critique. I just have I just like was I don't it's not even it is how I was fucking raised. That's awful. But it's true <laughs> that these people were like, here you'll enjoy some Henry James. And I'm like, yeah, I guess that sounds right. Like, oh it's, mm-hmm, yep, I know. I know. I'm the guy I'm the book club guy. Like <laughs> I'm Stanley Hyman in 1955. <laughs> I, I know you'll get into this, but I do. The idea of this at a book club is wild to yeah. me. Like that this that this was like a huge pop cultural thing in the middle of the 20th century is uh, wow. Um, yeah, to be a yeah. fly on it's the wall. Weird. <laughs> well, you know, in book club, like not even book club guys, like guys who teach and you know, professors were the type like white men professors were the right. people who were like this is so good anyway and even though Nabokov is sort of like 
he's always trying to like dodge any critical engagement. This is a really early 50s novel to me. Part road novel, part, you know, being bourgeois, but also mocking the bourgeoisie, part pop culture references for dickheads. That's a crazy and interesting moment for the novel form in general. Within two years of this are things like Invisible Man, Salt Bellow, on the road is in this period of time, the man in the gray flannel suit. So there's a lot of digging at masculinisms and masculinity, which this book doesn't actually care to get into, Mm -hmm. which is odd. So do with that what you want to. I also found, so I've read this, I think this is six times. I found something weird, which is that, okay, sorry, this is another dick thing to say. It does actually read differently every time you read it. (laughs) Like it does, sorry. But the last maybe two or three times I read it, I really found Lolita, like Dolores, emerging as a character. Like She makes her way through the pages in this really interesting way, much more clearly than the first time I read it. And then this time, I saw much more of Charlotte emerging. And I hadn't felt that or seen it before, um, or maybe found sympathy where I hadn't seen it before. That might be because I'm like a dumpy 30-something mom. But it might just be that she's more characterized than I had been looking for. So this keeps coming up for me, which is like the question of the characterization of people who don't have the luxury of the first person here. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we'll we'll definitely talk about this. What this novel does with the whole concept of literary character, I do think is super weird and like Mm -hmm. really worth digging into. And you can't, historically, after this, you cannot live in any position where you're an innocent reader. Right, 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 right. Well, it also fucks with character and type. It's doing a bunch of Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. interesting stuff with, like, what's the protagonist? What type of villain do we expect? This is a blessedly hero-free narrative, but the perspective does more than it looks like. I mean, I know that's a trite thing to say, but it... Yeah. Is why the book can manage to be funny and fucked up because it's not about this guy. Yeah. It's about it's about how it is to tell a story that's disgusting. Yeah. It fucks not only with character, it fucks with what narrative is, but without looking like it's doing that. Mm-hmm. Like this reads like in many ways a very conventional novelistic yeah. narrative, but then you dig into it and you're like, no, this is strange. This is very not that at all. Katie, are you gonna tell us why you want to read this? Okay, so why Lolita? Why Lolita? The main thing is that I love to read wholesome thoughts of a normal ass man. And um <laughs> You know, that really scratched my itch here. I am a person who will freely admit to being obsessed with all the pedophile conspiracy theories. And so I wanted to see what was what here. And what I found was a book that's both deeply disgusting and legitimately funny. And it actually does something that all of these satanic cabal, Pizzagate, pedophile conspiracy stuff, even like the Epstein shit. There is all this stuff about how, at the heart, the pedophile is a loser, an abject monster loser. And that's here. That's really here. And I also went back to the abject, Kristeva's Powers of Horror. It's not a bad way of getting into this book, actually. And one of the things she says about it is that the abject is a substitute for the sacred, basically. And the abject is the limit of social and subjective identity. 
and then it's sublimation without consecration, which is like one of those formulations that, of course, I like because of the sublime. Uh, uh, the sublime, yes. <laughs> and so I think that aspect of it, like this weird, fucked up story that's funny in a lot of places, what's going on is not funny, but in fact, the narration actually is partially because of the pathetic moments. But there's also this confessional aspect, but it's not a confession like one would expect. So I begin reading it and I think I'm going to get confession and analysis. And then I don't get that. I get arrogant weirdo who's showing his ass constantly narrating this thing. I mean, you also get confession analysis, no? Get that. But you don't get the consecrated confession thing. Oh, yeah. No, that's true. What you get is a self-consciously and yet totally unselfconsciously constructed narrative. So I'll go to the book to explain what I mean by that. There's a part where where our protagonist, I guess, gets a boner for reasons I won't describe and covers it with a book and he says it's his fig leaf. And it's like that's what the book is in some way. It it is like the fig leaf because the fig leaf all it's doing is calling attention to the to the dick under the fig leaf and this one keeps blowing away in the wind and that's sort of the whole point of why you can find this both gross and absorbing. But from the beginning of the narrator describing his life, he says, um, my mom was really hot. She was very photogenic and everyone liked me and I was friends with everyone and I am I too am hot. And big ups to my dad for dating hot women and (laughs) not being around. All the servants thought he was cool for that. Yeah. As a total aside, it does remind me of this like very weird story. I don't know if I've told this before, but at my dad's funeral, one of his friends went up to me and said, I just want you to know that your dad always dated the the hottest women, the most gorgeous (laughs) women. (laughs) Was that intended to be funny or was it just like comforting to you? Like what was the intended function? I thought he was going to say, like, I just want you to know that once your father saved my life from, like, a car accident or, like. Right. <laughs> something really, like, that would that would mean something to you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, take that with you. This is the time I'm going to share this with you, the most meaningful yeah. thing. Yeah. People but anyway. Being weird at funerals is a real genre of behavior. It is. You know, I've, <laughs> like, I have a lot of people be, not quite that, but a lot of people being weird at funeral story. Yeah. But uh, that's weird. Um, yeah. And I will say, like, what you were saying, Katie, about like the comedic, uh, I do know that Nabokov was very, like, yes, like parody is an important idea here. Uh, very insistent it's not satire because that would have a lesson. And how dare you suggest that my work means something? That's so pedestrian. But yeah, but but I do think that we see a lot of that. But know, it's not satirizing anything. Like I think he's he's. I'm not trying to defend him. I just think he's right. Well, yes. I mean, I, yes. I on that point, I do agree. But I also find his refusal to entertain that like a book may carry some meaning that could be distilled into a, you know an but argument to be somewhat radical conservatism. Yeah, it is. It really is. It really is. But um, and yeah, and so that. <laughs> That gets into my conflicted relationship with Nabokov. I mean, you guys know I'm I'm not a Bolshevik. I'm not an ML. I am a big commie, but I, you know, I'm I, I accept Emma Goldman's critique of those people. Just um, saying, there's been <laughs> extremely uh, robust critiques of Bolshevism for mm, yeah, 120 no, I, years. 
Ed Correctwoods from very smart and good Marxists. But I will say, God damn it, reading some self-proclaimed white Russian aristocrat trash, which Nabokov 100% was, sure does make me feel a lot like Lenin. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) We had to go. They wanted to take our castle. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. I mean, his dad was a fucking czarist, a functionary. But the only other Nabokov I've read is is his memoir, Speak Memory, which I, I had to teach a few years ago in a college core class. And honestly, I found him just fucking insufferable, but the book really interesting for both historical and conceptual reasons. Like, yes, as I just said, czarist aristocrat, like this is a class of people who spoke French as their first language, even though they ruled Russia, the most pretentious snobs that you could imagine. And Nabokov was super into that that was his background, really loved that that was like how he grew up. But also, you know, speak memory does super weird and compelling things with how time like has no meaning that we can articulate outside of memory, which then becomes this very active kind of force and living thing. And that's cool. There's a lot of really interesting stuff in that book. He also has a very good academic novel. Yeah, yeah. P- P- and, and, and I mean, you could say the same about a, a few of his novels, too, right? I mean, I know that's one that a lot of academics really do like, but yeah. Oh, no, um, I mean, it's making fun of academics. Like, it's oh, an it's, academic... It's, it, it's about oh. an academic. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah. All right. Okay. So that's interesting. I want to that read that That would be now, his sweet although, spot. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying is that like, yeah. that is something that I think, Tristan, you would read and not find insufferable. Like if you found yeah. Lolita insufferable, do not read Otto, which is twice as long and like one <laughs> reference after another. And he's just one of those guys. Like we all know those guys who are like, I love Foucault, but I hate Judith Butler. And you're like, why do you love and hate these things? And they're like, I have, I have loves and I have hates. And those are yeah. the things that I feel. <laughs> yeah. And you're just like, yeah. but they don't, they don't make any sense. Yeah, exactly. I will say I, I had a, uh, an MA student who uh, last uh, quarter wrote an excellent paper comparing Jane Austen's Emma to Ada, which was great. Uh, it, it was a great paper. So that, that was cool too. But yeah, like I wanted to read more Nabokov ever since Speak Memory. But again, I, I just don't know what I think of this book yet. It is quite upsetting just in terms of its main subject matter, for sure. Humbert Humbert, which that itself is kind of a joke name, right? <laughs> but, but, but I mean, he's a fucking pedophile and rapist. I mean, like an unqualified monster. And much like Nabokov himself, an odious aristocrat shithead. Like that's kind of his bag in addition to being a pedophile and rapist. You know, Who yeah, says like you Nabokov. Can't do it all? Oh, could, yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, well, hum, Humbert is trying. You know, and then there's this whole element, which I know we'll you know get into the language games and coincidence is structured element that I'm still trying to wrap my head around. But I am fascinated by novels that center on a protagonist who is truly monstrous, that really kind of breaks the reader's capacity to sympathize, or at least challenges you a lot on what that would mean. Um, like, you know, that just kind of flies in the face of what we expect a novel to be, which is cool or challenging, particularly, I think, for 18th centuryists who deal with the whole rise of the novel idea. Like, this is just, this isn't what in the period I study you would think of as novelistic protagonist, and yet here we are. I do want to talk about what the novel does with solipsism, like, you know, how, and, you know, Megan, you kind of alluded to this, we have very limited access to Dolores Hayes or Lolita's psychology beyond the fantasy that Humbert constructs, or maybe, you know, I think that's a debatable point. But yeah, ton going on narratively and thematically, and I'm really excited to talk about it. Okay. So we're going to talk about characterization. We're going to just try and make some sense of this. We're going to talk about comedy or slapstick, like all the varieties of comedy. We're going to talk about what it means to be the reader here and the sort of critical positions we could take. So I'm going to do the summary 
I'm just going to do plot outline and then I'm going to sort of land on a couple scenes. The last scene I talk about is incredibly rough. I don't in general do trigger warnings, but I'm actually kind of stealing myself for it. I felt nauseated yesterday when I finished the section and I don't think that's the wrong experience. No, I agree. And I also think that that, again, you know, we mentioned the, com- the comedic or the parodic. And I think part of what makes that so jarring is that that lives against these like deeply upsetting scenes. Okay, so this book has this funny, tiny preface, preface in which Humbert's prison psychiatrist says, basically, this book is going to be a classic in psychiatric circles. Also, he says, don't talk to strangers, because <laughs> if we give this book to like the teens, they'll learn not to like get into cars with strange men. Um, not to have a stepfather. It sets us up for the weird task. Not to have a stepfather. <laughs> yeah. yeah, basically. It sets us up for the weird task the reader has to do here for me. So we're already in the mind of the doctor, the detective, the lawyer, the village person, the cowboy, the fire hydrant guy. We're in every mind. We're, we're, we contain multitudes. And then the book proper opens with its famous first chapter, and I'm going to read it because this is a thing that people do when they talk about Lolita. It's a, it's a tradition. Lolita, light of my life, fire of my loins, my sin, my soul, Lolita, the tip of the tongue taking a trip of three steps down the palate to tap at three on the teeth. Lolita. She was low, plain low in the morning, standing four feet ten in one sock. She was Lola in slacks. She was Dolly at school. She was Dolores on the dotted line. But in my arms, she was always Lolita. Did she have a precursor? She did. Indeed, she did. In point of fact, there might have been no Lolita at all had I not loved one summer a certain initial girl child in a Princeton by the sea. Oh, when, about as many years before Lolita was born as my age was that summer, you can always count on a murderer for a fancy prose style. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, exhibit number one is what the seraphs, the misinformed, simple, noble-winged seraphs, envied. Look at this tangle of thorns. So you get, it's like jammed, right? It's like jammed with imagery, thoughts, foreshadowing. It does, it tells you the position that you need to occupy already, even though it's also like, don't do it. Don't do it. It's going to get real fucked up. Look at me. I am Jesus. But I love that, like, you know, the foreshadowing thing. Did she have a precursor? She didn't. It's like, oh, yes, I'm going to explain the secret of my psychology. And I'm already on the, it's like, no, you're not. This really, to me, already from the first pair, from the first chapter is telegraphing reliability as like non-existent, you know? It's also like deliberately overwritten, right? So like, I I don't really mean Nabokov. I mean, that's like a crux, right? So it's Humbert's overwriting or Nabokov's overwriting or whatever. It's obnoxious. It's obnoxious line one. Yeah. It's the most effective announcement that you're about to read a book about an obnoxious guy that's possibly ever existed in literature. It's just (laughs) very efficiently telegraphing that this person's insufferable for like sort of banal reasons at the beginning and then you realize quite shortly that you can tell there's some sinister shit going on but you can uh, be forgiven for thinking he's just annoying if you just take that paragraph out of context totally. Um, I mean, except for the Jesus thing, right? Like, I already get a very grim <laughs> sense if he's like, look at this tangle of thorns. I'm like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, also, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I'm Jesus, yes. is, is yes. like a real, that's a, that's a two for you don't see a whole lot. 
from here, we learn about our narrator, Humbert Humbert, who's an awful Euro trash pedo with an enormous vocabulary and hairy arms who tells us a lot of shit in French. I am really going to try and avoid dickhead new critical wordplay material. But the thing that people say about Humbert Humbert is that the name is Ombre, like shadow. And so then the the repeat is also doing the sort of um, a shadow of a shadow, right? So a missing place and then also a double. So right. we will meet his double Claire Quilty later. And, and our and uh, the edition we read too, also uh, flags that that Ombre is a game. It's a, I think it's a card yes, game in French, right? Is, so yeah. that yeah, so that like a double game implied in that, which again, I mean, like now that's that actually is kind of cent- a central uh, concept to a lot of Nabokov's stuff. Oh yeah, he has a novel called The Game, and then right. Pale Fire is all about it anyway. Oh, he's also making the exact same joke Melville's making in uh, Benito Sereno. When he's like, the shadows are shadowing deeper shadows that foreshadow the other shadows that are shadowing. I don't know his feelings about Melville, but he probably hated him because he had wrong opinions. (laughs) Cast him out. Anyway, he talks a lot of French. His obsession is nymphets, which is a group of girls. And I never want to be slippery with his vocabulary or ever say young women or women because it's girls, children between 9 and 14, and that a certain group of psychos who are between 30 and 40 years older than them recognize these girls as, quote, the deadly little demon among the wholesome children. So the pedophile here is disguised as, quote, you have to be an artist and a madman, a creature of infinite melancholy, unquote, to be into nymphets, which is an awfully nice way of saying a fucking monster. Yeah. And, and just like refusing any sort of responsibility as well. Right. Like, yeah. And right. also to say that children are the devil. So I have to fuck them. Yeah. Like what? Yeah. yeah. But only this really specific, you know, it's, it's, he's like presenting it as, as like a, as a particularized. Well, yeah, he acts like he's hunting cryptids. <laughs> yeah 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 like no kidding well right yes and i mean because among other things it, it it like the cryptids thing i you know it, it's it's like dehumanizing among everything yeah. else right like yeah he's a lepidopterist and he's doing like butterfly squishing put the pin through although he's not nabokov said see you can see how i am distinguished from humbert because he mistakes a moth for a butterfly and i as a great lepidopterist would never make such a mistake it's like that's that's awesome dude i know all the (laughs) he doesn't know all the bugs and it's also like a certain he's like an epicure right like he has this very sophisticated taste for fucking children and okay so his first love annabelle like as in poe he met when he was himself a teenager and she's the model for all nymphs to come um we learned that he was married to a french woman called valeria who dumped him before she then dies in childbirth with having a baby with her second husband and then he spends some time institutionalized after that in this sort of weird Val- empty valeria's space. polish isn't she Oh yeah, they live in France. I'm sorry. Right. Yeah, yeah. Just because it's the Val Val Valchek Valetchka, I think. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, but he does that all the time. He does these weird like Russianizations of people's name. Right. And yeah, she's Polish, but they live in France, and I get confused. 
because she's always speaking French. <laughs> anyway, so in 1947, he moves to the small town in New England and takes a place as a lodger with Mrs. Charlotte Hayes, who is a widow. She is a disgusting 30-something hag because she has lived a life and is an adult. And she has a daughter called Dolores, who's the famous Lolita. This is what he calls her. We know this from the intro. Um, who he meets in the garden sunbathing. This is the super famous scene. It's in the movies. And it's pretty obvious, even though his description seems sort of very, very highly sexualized, that he's talking about a child. It's clear to us as readers. And because it's the first time we see her, we're in the soup, right? Like we're already in his brain. We're we're already in this internal conflict about like what she is. And so the next piece is from his apparent diary. Like we don't know what anything is really. And it's just a billion pages of things being like as creepy as possible. Finding out how Charlotte, who is the mother, is gross, also like old. One of the big scenes that is always difficult to represent in the movies is when she has her legs in his lap and we are treated to some very purpley writing about boners the nerves of pleasure had been laid bare. <laughs> the corpuscles of Krause were entering the phase of frenzy. The least pressure would suffice to set all paradise loose. Oh, hear about corpuscles. Yeah. <laughs> Just, uh, gross and upsetting. Yeah. Gross. Super yeah. gross. As I remember again, this is a scene that they like constantly try to adapt because it's a major moment, but it's hard because you can't have a scene narrated by somebody's francophone hard on. So she leaves, Lolita leaves her summer camp and then Humbert, her mother writes a letter to Humbert declaring her love for him. And I think we're supposed to think he's kind of dishy, like handsome. Well, he, th- he, he tells he us many times about how, how extremely good looking he is. Like, I don't trust a single thing that this narrator is telling you. But then we do have this love love that see there, there are like moments and this might be one of them that like something he says is vouched for by another character. But that also is problematic because all we know of these other characters is what he has told us yeah. of them. So yeah. yeah. It's a little Zoolander sometimes. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Him being like, I'm really good looking. Like, I'm really, I'm ridiculously good looking. Yes. Although my mm-hmm. hands are very hairy. So <laughs> right. I'm yeah, that's his, I can't revolting. turn left. <laughs> I went far. No. She writes him this letter, and of course, he responds by saying, like, hey, babe, totally mutual. Uh, Let's get married for very legit reasons. And here's how great being married is, and how he's definitely not thinking about Lolita at all, when, by means of pitifully ardent, naively lascivious caresses, she of the noble nipple and massive thigh prepared me for the performance of my nightly duty. I'm like nauseous again it was still a nymphet's set scent that in despair i tried to pick up as i bathed through the undergrowth of dark decaying forests yep everyone's having a lot of fun yeah like, it's, uh, it's good yeah. times very just okay. absolutely revolting that's great yeah i feel good right now love to <laughs> feel like no. this i love <laughs> to feel clammy um, yeah it's great after what apparently he finds disgusting sex with 
a 36 year old woman, Humbert and Charlotte have their first like brief argument over a trip to England. And shortly after this, she discovers the diary that he's been keeping or apparently keeping. He says to her, you're crazy, Charlotte. The notes you found were fragments of a novel. Your name and hers were put in by mere chance just because they came handy. Um, and then she like bolts from the house and is run over by a car and killed. Yeah. It, so like, I, and I do want to like just pause over the diary for a minute because I actually do think that that its presence is a very kind of comic element in that like this fucky dipshit who is like committing horrific yeah. crimes is carefully recording this evidence that is like very discoverable by others in which he yeah. calls like, in addition to talking about his like, you know, his fucking grotesque attraction to this child is also saying that, uh, you know, like he's calling her the, like the, the old cow and stuff like that. So it's just, I, we know that's going to happen. And so like, that is like a comic tension, but that is like about such, again, horrifying crimes and just mm -hmm. a, such a terrible situation that it's like, okay, what do we do when the comic enters that? It, yes. I don't know, you know? Like, and with so. the like utter slapstick of like this, you know, like I found the book and then she runs outside and it's like squish. Yeah, right. And and it is yeah. like the way her death is described is very it's graphic and it's mm -hmm. like it's very jarring, but you are right there is like it follows a certain kind of like slapstick convention that even that itself but it's like it's like the grotesque parody of comedy or something like that, you know. It's the like it's the hallmark of the farce, which is like, you know, uh you you find the you find the papers and then you slam a door. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It is quite a bit like the fucking mean girls getting hit by a bus thing. <laughs> yeah. Like, yes. Yes. Yeah, totally. Right. No, in, in a different work that handled the death somewhat differently, it is a very recognizably comic punchline. It is. Mm -hmm. And then it's also recognizably like from another tragic moment, which is that it actually reads a bit like the great Gatsby. Yeah. 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 Sure. Um, for sure. So now like, we he's her stepfather and and so that is legally important so he is now entitled to pick up lolita from summer camp although he doesn't tell her that her mother has been killed when he comes to get her he tells her that she's having an operation uh they leave the camp and honestly this is another moment like the scene of them driving from there to the hotel is one of the most funny and disgusting scenes in the book. Yeah. And it again, like, this is a book that has tons of scenes that ache you out, and you're also like genuinely laughing. Yeah. He she's like doing she has really funny dialogue in general because she's a child, and so she's doing all this like weird slang, late 40s slang. Yeah. Um, and so he's like driving incredibly fast, apparently, and she says the speed in the bum state is 50 and no don't slow down you dull bulb he's gone now we still have quite a stretch i said and i want to get there before dark so be a good girl bad bad girl said low comfortably juvenile delinquent but frank and fetching that light was red i've never seen such driving and again it's like slapsticky that's the thing right is that it's revealing about him because he is narrating her like she's a backseat driver not like right. a kid yeah. Well, the way he narrates her is one of the things that I always want to know about 
this book because like that's where we can actually talk about Nabokov, which is like how much he allows her to emerge mm-hmm. and to what degree Humbert kind of slips and lets her come through. Yeah. No, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot to say. Anyway, about we'll that. get there. <laughs> so they arrive at the hotel, which is called the Enchanted Hunters. Uh, you and the management sets them up in one room because they're father and daughter and Humbert explains, while we travel, we shall be obliged. We shall be thrown a good deal together. Two people sharing one room inevitably enter into a kind, how shall I say, a kind, the word is incest, says Lolita. So that's another Uh that for me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like, yeah. You know, she's like very uh, observant and like she's not. It's not that she's not an innocent. She completely is. But she's yes. very bright. Yes. Yeah. And right. No, for sure. And, and I don't. And I don't mean this to to take away from that because I think that's right. I also think that's the um inter- the most interesting reading of her. But like, it's also like despite the artifice of justification that he constructs around all this, it is also like completely transparent what it is that he is. Like he is a monster, and like yes, even a child, you know, with very limited experience of the world sees this that that's filtering through his own narrative that like even his own kind of like effort to contain that can't like make that go away and he thinks it's like this complicated romance that's like characterized by by overlapping feelings and she's like no yeah yeah so um again like let's not have any illusions here about like that she doesn't know what's happening and that also she doesn't know how to interpret it Right, because he is—he's—he uh, is, doesn't think she does. I think in part the way that I read it was that it's not that she's not capable of interpreting it necessarily, but that she can't afford to because right. she's because w- what's she going to do? But that's the book. That's not Humbert. No, no, yeah, that's not. Yes, that's a different. Yeah, that's again where we get caught in this problem. But that's not also like. We don't get that from Lolita either. Well, we get statements like the word is incest. Yeah, but do you like you can read that to like you can say the word is incest or you you don't know that she didn't mix it up with like intimacy. You know what I mean? Like at that age, like you don't know, like there are these all these possibilities of like a kid who is smart and trying to be like, I know what you're, t- I know what you're talking about. They, they know it's like sexual. They know, and, and that it's a slip of the, it could be a slip of the tongue, but it's also revealing. Like mm. you, it's quite pop because of the way she starts calling him, da- she starts call- calling him daddy, I think, in these ways that are like meant to be uh, read as provocative because of the way he narrates them. Well, and then we get into the another sort of like sinkhole, which is like, what is she doing to carry this relationship along such that she doesn't get injured or like, because she doesn't know what he's capable of, really? No. No, right. right. I mean, you know, and, 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 you know, not just because like, yeah, I mean, he's reeling himself to be, you know, a a rapist, a pedophile, but also because she's barely knows him at all. Like, you know, he, like he was a, what I think he was like a boarder in her mom's house for like three or four weeks before she went to camp and then they got married. Like she doesn't know this person at all. She barely knows him. And 
we, she, you know, she does these funny performances that, or he says she does, where she's like, oh, because we're lovers. Like before he rapes her, because apparently she has this like juvenile sort of fantasy or she's doing some kind of romance. She's playing with it. And so he has been like experimenting with different kinds of barbiturates so he can rape her in her sleep because he can live with himself for that. Yep. Oh, yeah, that's great. Morally mm. exculpated. Yep. But they've been like unevenly successful, meaning that the barbiturates have been not consistently knocking her all the way out. But they are sleeping in the same bed and they wake up on the third day however and he says i swear to god she seduced me that's another like incredibly famous line that the rare but occasional critic from that moment was like this is about a this is about a this is about a, a spoiled child or like a prodigious child jesus fucking christ uh, she was a girl scout camp like, yeah. <laughs> like what the fuck it's yeah. just not <laughs> i try not to do this i try not to be moralistic about interpretation but when somebody says that i'm like that says a fuck ton about you bro yeah like morality is not the best lens always for what literature is doing but yeah like if you say if, if that is your reading, like what the fuck is wrong with you? Right, exactly. Like her, per- it's that she's precocious. Like that is it's a extraordinarily wrong yeah. reading. And well, again, I mean, like, it is no it says yeah, it, shit about the person doing it. Yeah, and and uh, it it also like completely ignores the clues that Nabokov get very clear clues that do not fucking trust this character's self justifications. Don't and like you think that that is the point of the novel. It's like, well, one, you're a scumbag, and also, yeah, you're a fucking dumbass as well. Absolutely, yeah. and that means you're trying to find something that's like wrong. Yeah. So. They leave the hotel. She's doing this silent treatment thing. And he's like, I wonder what's wrong with her. And she says, you revolting creature. I was a daisy fresh girl. And look what you've done to me. I ought to call the police and tell them you raped me. Oh, you dirty, dirty old man. And he's like, I didn't know she was joking. (gasps) And in that scene, he tells her her mother is dead. And the section closes with her coming crying into his hotel room that night because, quote, she had absolutely nowhere else to go. And if you don't think this is the most sinister fucking character in American literature. Yeah. And that is just, um, I mean, pure pathos there. It is. I mean, it's just such a deeply upsetting scene. Um, and well, in a, in a book that has a lot of those. <laughs> yeah. That is like built on them. So context wise. So what I'm going to do, I, I don't actually know what I'm going to do next time for context, but I'll figure it out. But this week I'm going to talk about, the reception a little bit there's also some a couple recent ones i'm going to mention yeah so it was banned in france and people were like oh it's scandalous but it was like never banned in the u.s or in england and people loved it and there are reviews everywhere that is that's weird to me that that that, that france but not 19 mid 1950s u.s france. france yeah yeah of all places yeah where we read everything and it's like exactly for the time, you know, like it's just like a perfect, it lands perfectly yeah. for, again, like snobs. So in the New York Times in 1958, Janeway says that 
the first time I read Lolita, I thought it was the funniest book. The second time I read it, I thought it was one of the saddest. And I mentioned this personal reaction only because Lolita is one of those occasional books which arrives swishing behind them, a long tale of opinion and reputation. Again, sort of. Yeah. Sorta. Which can knock the unwary reader off his feet. I hate to um to harp on this, but I, I believe that what she says is a very unfortunate turn of phrase. The first time I read it, it I thought it was the funniest book I had ever come on. <laughs> yeah i mean yeah also there's this quality in every reviewer that's like other people were prudes but i get it like yeah. all the scandal was just a tempest in a teapot yeah again you know i <laughs> like really channeling lennon's reaction to this class here yeah the the fucking like aristocratic jokes and like oh, look i just made a pun in french do you get that <laughs> is uh awful but at the same time i do um, like part of me is like okay i'm kind of down with this because i feel like nabokov is like laying breadcrumbs for like pretentious bourgeois dipshit readers like haha i bit on the joke and then they are also like the subject of like the joke so that's kind of cool uh because <laughs> you know, we're always like we're the butt of the joke yeah yeah at, yeah. at the end and then like a different in the book of the times uh column in the times this is like a, a different person who's also says like this is news in the world of books fine but it's bad news there are two equally serious reasons why it isn't worth any adult reader's attention question it's worth teen reader's attentions question <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, the first is that it is dull, dull, dull in a pretentious, florid, and archly fatuous fashion. The second is that it is repulsive. <laughs> I mean, not not wrong entirely on that. But. Making some points. Yeah, I mean, and he's like, he doesn't. This I'm just summarizing what he says. He doesn't use the word fuck, but it's really gross. Yeah. And then in England, Kingsley Amos calls it bad as a work of art and morally bad so that's actually like that's another reading that some yeah. people have but he also says the only success of the book is the portrait of lolita herself which strikes me as the surprising interesting reading mm -hmm. the la times says <laughs> what you will find in lolita are other pleasures and other sadnesses if you like fielding smollett and stern if the comic novel of the 18th century appeals to you tristan you are in for a treat <laughs> uh, yeah that's a am I the, that's am a weird I a that's treat? a weird thing to say that is a weird thing to say because like yeah i mean we're, yes as we're as we've said a bit this is definitely like really taking on the conventions of the comic novel and yeah i think that's right of the 18th century but going in a wildly different direction with them and, and that's not that's not at all a knock on it i mean i think that's that's some of the most yeah. interesting stuff to me but it's just like huh, if you like stirred you sure will like this book about a pedophile monster by this fucking russian aristocrat you know <laughs> and he's also like also it's really good because it's not for like book club cunts it's for like smart people right right yeah in the la times i again i paraphrase i only have Two more. The National Review. <laughs> King of the dudes. King of the smart man. Yeah. Smart thoughts from the National Review. He, you know, masterly descriptive power. 
uh, Nabokov excoriates the materialist monstrosities of our civilization from progressive education to <laughs> motel architecture. Yeah. And- this is an anti-motel architecture book. <laughs> yeah. That's what I learned. And back again through the middle brow culture racket to the incredible vulgarity and moral nihilism in which our children of all classes are raised and on to psychoanalysis and the literary scene. I'm um, just hearing uh, our old friend William uh, F. Buckley Jr. saying, uh, Sir, I, uh, there's a powerful book of about a pedophile rapist. I would like you to review it for the next issue. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, what I love about this is that it re- it's a moralizing tale. Yeah. Of how buildings are ugly. Yeah. yeah. And we're raising children to be immoral. Yep. Ugh, good. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Good. Yep. yep. But I love, I feel like this is the genre of criticism that has, like, kept the National Review afloat, which is, like, I watched a movie and that movie was really good because it was, like, children are disgusting and also <laughs> yeah. uh, don't teach evolution in schools. Yeah. Well, no, and, also, yeah. and also fuck them. That's fine. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yes. It, well, right. And also, there could be like you know, uh, that there could be tw- like, see, this is actually about progressivism, right? You know, but. right. This is. I mean, I, I just love that that it's like this is making this is a joke at the expense of this thing, and it's like, did we all watch the same thing? No, absolutely, and yeah, and, and when I, I like from what you uh, just read, Megan, like I feel like the National Review person is like, ah, see, he he really, uh, you know, he takes on he takes on fr- that horrible Sigmund Freud because psychoanalysis one of the things they're on, and like, yeah, I, I like Nabokov did hate like Freud. He he has this dumbass trilingual joke, like Doctor Blanche Schwartzman, who's one of the people that uh, that guy who's like compiling this uh, the art, the initial art, the introductory artifice, um, and it's like, ah, did you get that Blanche? white schwarzman black haha because freudians only thinking black and white white fuck off (laughs) like just fucking slob on my knob all day please (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think that's Uh, it i just wanted to go through some reviews because i think they're wild no uh definitely okay this came up as you were doing the summary and our interest stuff but I do want to get to the broad categories of like what this book does with novelistic conventions. One of them is character, like what it means that Humbert is such a clearly unreliable narrator, but also like how it deals with novelistic narrative. So, I mean, one thing I think is weird about Humbert is that I think you have to encounter him as word object. It doesn't really let you or like you fall into a bad trap if you start to like imagine him as a person in the world like novels Mm -hmm. ask you to do and that's not like unheard of in literature and writing like i was i mean this isn't a novel but i was thinking like in a samuel beckett play like the characters in endgame no one's thinking of like ham as like this uh that that's the character's name right i think ham is this i think so yeah but like no one's thinking of this guy whose parents live in a trash can as like a person in the world right 
But the conventionality of like so much of this story and the fact that we are like trying to piece together like Lolita's site or Dolores's psychology or Charlotte's through this means that we do have to like imagine like Humbert and all these people as characters. And I just think that's an interesting tension. It completely destabilizes our ability to do that. But like also demands that we do that or it just doesn't like work as something. And that's that's really fucked up and weird. You know? I mean, for us to see them at all, Charlotte yeah. and Lolita. Yeah. There's a way that we have to think of them as people because otherwise, how do we see them at all? Because they don't have the they don't have the first person voice. And so like this is not I know that they're not people. I'm just saying like <laughs> that this book does do something weird with like that even for me i find myself thinking of these people these characters as people yeah i think that i do too and i think it's because what the whole book is saying is you can't have them they're mine you can't have them yeah and whether or not i'm making it up we're all making it up as we i mean you sort of have to right make it up a little bit but you can read this any number of ways, except I think to say that somehow this protagonist is even close to representing what's actually going on in any of the minds of others. Right, right. And in the external world too. You know, when I uh, like when I say that, like we are not really allowed to imagine Humbert as a person like most novels ask us to do. We have to think of his word object. Part of why I say that is because like the authorial presence is so pronounced in this. Like there are all these, like, frankly, sometimes dumbassy coincidences, but the like structure, everything like, so like Lolita's house, like her number, it's in the 342. And then, oh, look, that's the key to the room. You know, and, and all these like language games throughout it. The, like the fact that we are in, in a novel like it that someone has written is just so prevalent that that i think is another part in addition to humbert's like you know self-serving unreliability just the the attention called to the artifice of narrative is so pronounced that all that's another layer that really i think challenges like how we typically would encounter a novel where we generally try to forget that or like the author tried mm-hmm. you know it lulls us into this sense of reality that uh, that we forget that we're reading a novel and are just having this pleasurable like of Im- imaginative experience well and we're invited to do the things that again like the smart reader who is the uh, who's like every reviewer seems to fall into the trap of being like those peons didn't get it but i do and i know i find myself doing it too which is like we imagine a whole other novel here and mm-hmm. in the backstory which is the charlotte and dolores life their lives and you know that charlotte is is being completely like mentally dragged around by this person and that lolita is being sexually violated and that like but we we the good reader imagines this whole other novel right like we're doing this thing that we know we can't do that there's no other novel here we only get the words that he gives us you can't Mm -hmm. you can't do that unless you're you know gene reese or whoever Mm -hmm. we want to think of as as saying like this book needs a companion and if you wrote that book i think somebody did it's but no right um so here's another like because I think, like, a not an uncharitable way of like reading why 
Nabokov is doing this would be that it's a little bit of a cop out in that like we are able to sort of, I don't know, follow this repulsive person down these thought pathways because like we get, you know, we're, we do get to keep them at some, that kind of arm's length. Like, oh, this isn't a care. This is a novel and this is a word object. And so therefore, like I can, I can like get into this like really kind of despicable kind of mental space. But like, you know, I, mean, so I think that's the non-charitable way of, of, of reading that. But I think that to me too, like a, a bigger problem there is that one of the, or maybe it's not a problem, but like, I guess how like these two, I, these two thoughts of mine go together is that another thing I think that is really compelling, as I said um, at the beginning, that this novel does is gives us a protagonist that is monstrous in the most classic sense of what that means. Like not Frankenstein's monster who's actually the hero, but like a true monster, yeah. you know, but if he is like word object and not a monstrous person that we're imagining doesn't that undercut that in some way i I don't know you know what i mean so well i wonder if it has to do with so part of what's going on is in the humbert says this he's like all i have to play with now is language That's, that's all i have to play with and so in reading the book and enjoying it it's like yeah if all you have to play with is language how far can you how far can you take someone this despicable and still make it a language game? Right. The experience of a language game. Right. And I think that the point of it is that sometimes it fails and sometimes it succeeds. And it doesn't mean that it's a thorial failure or a failure of the book, but that it's doing both things and that you can have fun. Basically we're doing the interpretive work and like playing a game with a character who's a freak. And it's like the Hannibal Lecter shit. You want to be fucking pedo hunter, figure it out and be the one who can like be equal to it. Yeah. You Mm -hmm. totally want to be like the person who wins the game and you've already started a game that you're never going to win. Right. But that even to said that sentence is already to have like, been doing this on Nabokov's terms, right? Like, that's almost impossible is to say, like, I'm going to read this book against itself. Like, what is that? Like, there's no version of it, which is completely nuts. The whole point is that because of the way it's narrated, you also have nowhere else to go. Yeah. And and that, so that, that brings like another thing. And, and I think this gets into, you know, beyond Humbert, but uh, the other characters, right? Like Lo, like Lolita that, okay, well, so do we see her like coming through as a character in her own right? Do we not like, you know, do we not? But he has just this really grotesque and just like, okay, what the fuck does this mean line? Uh, I think this is page 60 of my edition. He, he did. I'll just read the one sentence. Lolita had been safely solipsized. And just like what and and he like that actually is kind of a prevalent theme like okay what does that mean like one that's like calling our attention to his own like okay like yeah what what I what you know of this other person is entirely my like is Humbert's like depiction of her but yeah but then is that a challenge then to the reader like a kind of against the grain thing that like okay so now we're supposed to kind of like try to read through that is that but or is that dispensatory in some way i i don't know it's but that is i think i don't know of all of the you know many amazing sentences in this in the first half of this that's the one that i think really stuck with me the most and is still kind of troubling as to how to figure out what that means yeah she being safely solipsized is it's hard for me to say. It's like it casts a long shadow, right? But you're still wrestling in this position of like, and then what do I do with this information? Yeah. 
and 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 I think it reads like sort of a hit, like his kind of like wish, like his fantasy that like he, you know, because yeah, if he if he is forced to encounter her as another person in the world, then I think like his like the the just the the horror of what he's doing becomes inescapable. Whereas if he is able to maintain the fantasy that she is basically like his mental projection, then that like he dispenses with it, right? So yeah, so I guess that's my part of my thing. Is like, is this is are we, we reading like? Humbert's like attempt, you know, this is like a, this is like how he's reconciling with it. Or is that, is it saying something about what, how we, the reader are encountering this? And I just, and maybe both and on all of that, I don't know. We never, we're never supposed to think of ourselves as that far from Humbert, right? We are tasked with finding her or not finding her or minimizing her or, you know, taking for granted what he tells us about her. And again, all of the shit I'm saying Im- demands that I invent her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there are many things you want to say about her, what you see come through, like maybe flashes of something. And in fact, there doesn't have to be anything there for this to be horrifying. Like she doesn't have to yeah. be smart and special for it to be we don't have to make her radically different and hold her up to get to the disgustingness of it but we want but there's a i should i should stop saying we but there's like some kind of urge to because that's what he's doing is saying like there's something special about her special evil about her and then and then the task becomes i think to, if you want to like resist in the reading is to say like, no, there's something actually special about her and that she's special in these different ways. Like she's special in a good way and there's just no way of knowing. And that's what's so fucked up and frustrating about it is that in all of these situations, you don't know. You just don't know. I mean, there was like this case that, that, that I know that there was some debate about how much it's, this um the novel's based on it but like a kid can just be a kid and it's fucked and it's fucked up but i also think that what nabokov is doing is showing us that she's quote a real person that she has a character that she's that her being smart is like a way of giving her characterization yeah it's filling her in a little bit right so she has all this like goofy language because she is a kid yeah she's a little kid and that's what he's helping us to see is like no matter how bright she is like what he's trying to do is remind us that she's a child Mm -hmm. yeah and that's kind of what i am driving at is that it's hopper who thinks she's precocious not not exactly right yeah Yeah. exactly and so to read but but we're always reading with humbert somehow of course, yeah. But I think yeah. that's where we see, like, uh, not commentary, but we see, like, versions of something that Humbert narrates, but doesn't interpret. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think they're, like, I think this is a very sort of, like, tight narrative in that like i i do think like i think nabokov is very into like the authorial sense of control of narrative and i and frankly i think he executes that <laughs> like i yeah. i can't you know 
But like Humbert also thinks that he has that and he doesn't, right? Like, I mean, he has it a lot, but like there are those moments where Lolita does something that he wasn't expecting and that like goes outside of his, uh, or really kind of cuts through his sort of fantasy versions um, in, in real in ways that really kind of like, uh, you know, undermine that. Um, and, and so again, yeah, like I, I do think that like, the narrative perspective and Humbert's like often look like they're right on top of each other, but I, but there are important moments where that diverges. And I think like, yes, like that is where we see, as you were saying, Megan, the kind of commentary emerging. Um, and, and also like, I think it's challenged to readers to like start to fill in what Humbert does not say, or that like what Humbert cannot sort of like reconcile or something like that. I mean, I think that's exactly right, which is that it does show you where the fantasy breaks down. Mm hmm. And yeah. part of that is saying she's solipsized because there's a version of her in a different book where she isn't. Right. Yeah. Like that's a weird thing to have to say. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. If it, yeah, 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 yeah. But I think it is like that the fantasy does occasionally get punctured. And this is the second half of the book is actually really interesting in this sense. Um, he also does these like fucking moronic things. Like I have wrote a diary and I put your real names in it. And, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What the fuck is right. wrong with you? No, totally. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. And again, that that is the that is the like that's the those comic moments that very quickly become sort of grotesque or like inversions of the comic or something like that. But yeah, but yeah, right. And, and yeah, I mean, but I think like part of what we see in those is like the like Humbert becomes like Humbert himself is the butt of the joke, right? Like, um. Okay, this is we're gonna stop here. Next week we have. A lot more. We have a lot of different stuff to talk about, and I think we're we just have no choice but to keep up with this question about the reader and who we are, who are the gentlewomen of the jury. So, Katie, do you have a game? I do have a game for you. Yeah, I know. Oh, good. A uh, lighthearted occasion oh, for one. Yeah. So, uh, if you're not aware. Uh, on the internet, the dedicated reviewers who investigate whether Lolita is good or bad are members of an elite uh, squad known as yes. Goodreads reviewers. And they are, uh, they had some mixed feelings about this book. So, for instance, uh, one reviewer uh, complained they were looking for some kind of literary umami <laughs> that they couldn't find. And uh, to continue <laughs> along the food theme, somebody else said, while making dinner, turkey fajitas, I thought about the question Paul raised, whether we can believe what Humbert is telling us. And no, I don't know who Paul is. <laughs> you know, it's just Paul, you know, like, yeah. My friend Paul, my friend Paul, yeah. I imagined he was involved in the chicken fajitas. And, and what, maybe these might be two of my favorites. Uh, one was crap, and I don't mean the pervert stuff. Um, <laughs> The Freud stuff? Well, who can who can know in the fun world of Goodreads? Uh, and one other person inquired, this is an important question, has there ever been a more boring character? What other than his yeah. pedophilia I makes mean, him I, interesting? You know, <laughs> Humbert okay. is very, I mean, he's, he's an interesting literary object, but I mean, insufferable in so many ways. So, I mean, I, I kind of get where that person's coming from also i like look i do not would not fault anyone for being like squicked out by this book it is like a fucked up story but i also it's like what you know i mean this is a very famous cultural object it's like you kind of like you know what this is about getting into it right like 
Yeah. Do you exactly. not know the reference yeah. from the title alone? Yeah. And if you have trouble with that, have you <laughs> yeah. looked at any yeah. of the covers? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As I understand, um, the wonderful writer Matt Johnson has said that his, when his kids are mad at him, they read him his Goodreads <laughs> reviews. <laughs> That's brutal. That's you know. really mean. Which is dark. Yeah, that's to me, that's proof of original st- sin. We're all born stained and evil. Yeah. Um, that's like reading that it- me my reader, like reader <laughs> yeah. two. Yes. Like if my kids I mean, reader, reader two really two. is a ra- internet rad, though. <laughs> yeah, just- like, we, I, I never thought of it those terms, but yes, exactly. Yeah. As Katie once said, reading my reader two for me, uh, <laughs> someone should probably check on this person. Yeah. I was concerned. Yeah. Reader number two, you're awful, but I hope you're all right. Um, we hope you're okay, but you're not okay. You're n- yeah, that's that's pretty much uh, the state of reader two. Um, but so, in, a, in, in any event, uh, to to the game, to the mystery, to other mysteries apart from what makes reader two tick, I'm going to read some excerpts of Goodread reviews, and what I would like you to do if if your game for the game is to guess where the review falls okay. on the one to five star scale. Okay. So here's review number one. They're excerpted. Horror movies, ghosts like Chucky, spelled with an I, it, etc. Never scared me. Not because I'm really brave, which I'm not, but simply because they were not real. What rather scared me were criminals like Hannibal Lecter or Joker, Dark Knight, or John Kramer from Saw movies. Who are real. Because they seem seem so real. Who are the realest ass motherfuckers. (laughs) The Um, Joker really (laughs) seems cut from life. (laughs) The Joker. (laughs) Mom, is the Joker under my bed? Can you check? (laughs) Men who had their philosophy, who had reasons for doing what they did. You would think men with such mentality can exist in the real world. Humbert is one of this latter category, only much more real and thus scarier. Scarier than the Joker. Uh, what is that? I feel it? like this is a five. Like, yeah, I feel like this is a five star review. I feel like it's a four. Like, I liked it, but, you know, the uh, fear factor yeah, brings yeah. it slightly down. But it, it's definitely I'm going to be shocked if it's like a one star review, because like, yeah, they're, they're really leading into that Humbert's a believable. But yeah, I just I, I, I I'm still pausing on like the idea, like the Joker. And I'm sorry, was the was the, was Jigsaw from Saw another one of the people that the or, or that was like, I get I don't know the Saw. I don't yeah, know. the no, Saw. No, I've I never, just, never seen Saw. OK, I, I just John I, Kramer. I don't Is know. He the I, little anyway. clown. Well, okay. Right. Oh, this guy's scared of clowns. Well, I just don't entirely understand why, like, the clown from It right. does not right. feel real, but the Joker does. But also, Chucky's a ghost, and also, so is It. Yeah. Chuck- oh, that they are ghosts. That's true. They're so so those i don't i don't know <laughs> okay but, but um, perhaps yeah. we should no, no, devote no, no, too but, much energy but, to this person but we're both agreed yeah. that it's, it, yeah. this will be on the positive end of the yeah it's north of three <laughs> okay so i've got i've got tristan five megan four okay so here's review number two for all its transgressiveness this is nonetheless a book wrapped in a latex condom a novel whose uterus has been scoured into infertility. It explains why the past 60 years art has been so um. sterile. <laughs> it's uterus. 
Uh, okay. This is someone uh, having a normal one. Uh, life. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, the, the other parts of the review yeah. were too fucked up for me to include. <laughs> I'm actually just hung up on the metaphor, like the mixed yeah. metaphors is yeah. me some and, trouble. Okay, wow. Yeah. Do they understand that a condom doesn't go into your uterus? <laughs> and and who is scouring their uterus? So like taking yeah. like, a Brillo pad yeah, to I, it? You know, yeah, someone someone was a someone you never do that to uteruses or cast iron. In ninth grade health That's right. class. Um yeah. <laughs> Although, honestly no you know what uh if like ninth grade health class was the extent of your of your like sex and body education you may very well think that that's a thing that people do <laughs> well it depends real. on what this part of the country you're in apparently. and again i'm not you know like i i remain very ambivalent about this i don't i a, a terrible review would be fine but this is a crazy fucking review like <laughs> <laughs> And it explains why the literature of the last yeah. 60 years has been so yeah. sterile. Honestly, so like sterile. that, that might so be sterile. like the fucking like urine. like worst aspect of it. Cause that, cause that like, Oh, like the, the collapse of Western, this has a very yeah. hard, high uh, collapse of Western civilization vibe. That's, you know, it does. Yeah. It has a light. It has some fashion. The, the, the misogyny too embedded in the, the, the weird ass fucking reference that they use is, is part of that. Yeah. <laughs> One, but you, but you one, think this yeah. is a so Tristan. You think this is a one? I actually, I'm going to say four again because I think this person like thinks that <laughs> scraping out a uterus is a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> this really evacuated the middle of the body of yeah American literature. Yeah, that's a it's a it's a gam- that's a gamble. It's <laughs> it you know did. could could pay off big de- dividends, but I uh, I. I follow. I I, I mean, it's. it's I, I like the lot. I'd be very like impressed with the logic. Uh, it, it, it sounds. It sounds like a good. Uh, you know, good. Good. Good theory. Let's. Let's see what happens. I mean, I think my brain is just riding out. Like for whatever reason, I have like manufactured mm-hmm. these reviewers into men, and so I think of them as doing this like Nabokov. You know, they have mm-hmm. to do the grossest language okay. to express yeah. fan- no, 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 fanishness. No, I, I buy that. This this one I'm not only like pretty certain is a man, but is a man who has been to some websites. <laughs> the bonobo websites. Uh, <laughs> one of the ones yeah. I've been on for but for research for me, not for not for posting. Okay. Here is your last and most baffling entrant. <laughs> I swear to you, this is in a review of Lolita on Goodreads. I've recently taken a keen interest in watching Deadliest Catch. It's a bunch of crabs, 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 and masturbating, the simple ingredients of all my friendships and relationships. It Sure, it's awesome to watch seafaring maniacs risk life and limb to haul in the nasty creatures that pay their bills. Then you get to thinking how these dudes' wives manage without them at sea for 20-plus days at a time. Obviously, they are in the crab-catching business as well. And the real kick in the ass is that I don't even eat crab. Hell, I've never even tried a dish that incorporates any crab. <laughs> Mr. Keezy? <laughs> is Mr. Keezy writing this right now? In the That's building. Something? How many stars is that? Five. <laughs> oh my god! Like I have no fucking clue. Like, yeah, I'm gonna say I. 
yeah, sure, five. What it could be one, it could be three. I have no clue. I do like what the blind guess. Oh god. <laughs> Think yeah. like Ken Kesey. Yeah, <laughs> no, you can never uh, go wrong. This person's on um, the bus on something for sure. Yeah. <laughs> they're, on, yeah. they're on a bus, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. they're not on a boat. Though. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with my grab. answer five, but I have no. I, uh, I it could be literally any of <laughs> any of the numbers. It could be yeah. literally anything. Anything could be happening now. I mean, the number um, could be like uh, four yeah. four four hundred gophers in a sack. Like that <laughs> yeah. could be that could yeah. be the answer to this question. Like. Just it's a three yeah. it's a three dimensional yeah. answer. Yeah, oh yeah, no, we're 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 definitely busting into additional dimensions here for sure. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I don't know. Yeah, I I'm, like. Oh God, I I, <laughs> I don't want on the bus because I'm kind of worried about where that trip would take me if I you know tried some psychedelics with this crab imagery in my head. Like this is. Honestly, every bus we've encountered in the history yeah, of this podcast yeah. is, sounds nauseating. Almost all of the carriages, yes. a vast majority of the cars, um, yeah. the boats, yeah, yeah, if they weren't so yeah. sexy. No, so, yeah, some of the boats are sexy, some, some, yeah. some, some not. But, <laughs> but, but yeah, let's, so, all right, so what, what, where, who, where, what did these amazing brains <laughs> give from this? Yeah. What did we win? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Beep boop boop bop bop. I'm coding. Hang on a second. Oh, graph. Okay. So the first review, well, that's a five star. Okay. So Tristan gets that. The latex condom review was a one star. Okay. Tristan, you nailed that. Yes. I'm losing. Now, now in the it the last one. That was a <laughs> two star. <gasps> that I makes no sense. It was a two star. Three dimensions, but only two stars. Yeah, three dimensions, two stars, <laughs> two stars, <laughs> one cup. Um, I mean, okay, like, hey, yes, uh, I won, great. But I will say, I don't like these. These really could have been any. I mean, they're like, I, you know, th- this is just all guesswork because, like, who the fuck knows? I mean, I do think the first one was like clearly the most because they're like, oh, this makes me feel real, just like the comic book villain. Um, but the other two, like, yeah, I mean, who the fuck are these people? <laughs> like, <laughs> don't you feel icked out though now because yeah. you've inhabited the minds of these reviewers? I'm a real sicko yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, from, from Lolita to reading to, to plunging into the depths of the the psyche of the Goodreads <laughs> reviewer. Like, uh, <laughs> but I, yeah, I also like. I mean, I'm well, sure you picked a great selection as always, but there were some weirder ones too, right? Like there, there were some ones that like <laughs> you just couldn't <laughs> uh, get into on the show. That was actually the challenge because some of them <laughs> were really funny, but they were too fucked up. Right. Yeah. Like they were really too fucked up. Right. Yeah. yeah I'm, so I'm we sure. couldn't do it. <laughs> also, now I have some television to catch up on, apparently. To deadliest catch um, up. Anyway, on. thank you. I'm glad that we were uh, <laughs> to deadliest catch up on. Uh, I'm glad that we were able to get through that. This has been better than dead. 
You can find me on Twitter at Tesslersaurus, Tristan on Twitter at TJ Schweiger, Katie on Twitter at Katie Crywo. You can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at BetterEdPod and email us at BetterEdPodcast at gmail.com, but only if you find another review and it can't be creepy and it can't make us cry and it has to be funny and possibly about shellfish. Our intro music is left Bronstein by the Redskins and used with their permission. Our logo is created by Jane Ponsack of JB Design and Content. Rate, review, and subscribe. And next week, we have the second of two parts on Lolita. And then we have Henry McKenzie's The Man of Feeling. And soon enough, Dune. I haven't read it before, but it'll be good. So thanks, comrades. 